Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome aboard the Strange Boat Podcast. I'm Keith Arthur, and it's my pleasure to have you along. My crew on this voyage is someone I've wanted to chat to about his fishing for a long time, but I never had an invite to the Fishing Gurus podcast, so I've taken a logical step of getting Matt Godfrey on here. Matt, how you doing? I'm all right, mate. Not bad. And uh, you're definitely going to be one of the next guests now you've said that. <laughs> see, I know how to get in everywhere. You should see the places I've got into fishing. I said, oh, that looks lovely over there. Would you like a go? Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, now, now, you're from what I consider to be the heartland of English match fishing, South Yorkshire. So was fishing in your blood right from the start? I think so, Keith. Yeah, this area, I'm sort of right in between. It's a weird place, place called South Anston or Kiverton's, the little mining village I'm from. But it's in between like Sheffield, Rotherham, Doncaster, Worksop. And it is like the hotbed, especially for match fishing. You know, back in days, everyone talks about coaches going from this area down to the Witham. Um, and even growing up, there were lots of little club and pub style fishing clubs that really dominated so many fishing venues natural venues and commercials around here so i think it were inevitable that as soon as i um saw a bit of fishing action and smiled the parents in particular granddad and dad were like right let's get him on a box <laughs> the A57, when, when I used to work in that area, you probably know I was, I was a direct, didn't get as far as Yorkshire, but Worksop was on my territory. And um, the, the A57, back in the day before you were born, was a, known as the Sunday Steel Highway, as the coaches went all the way down to, to the Witham and the Trent, and, and that was where they went, and, and they were full every week. And it's bizarre, really, because... I, mean, I, I worked when I was working for Dial. We we had our trade show in in the the Royal Victoria, in oh, in yeah. Sheffield, and you could see the um, Don from outside the window, and you could see the methane bubbles 
coming up out the river and it was always wanted to see a fish rise but I never did and now it's such a, a fantastic fishery it just shows what can be done when when the right care taken but anyway back to you and your fishing um you started very early did you I did, Keith. Yeah, I reckon if you look back in my scrapbook that my mother's got, um, there's pictures of me crawling about in keep nets and stuff when I'm <laughs> literally... I don't even think I've got a nappy on. Um, but that says I'm what sort, the keep net was for. It was time for solids. Yeah. Tell you what, it were hard up here in them days. Um, but I've always been around it, and there's actually pictures of me holding fish and sat fishing at sort of three years old three and a half years old so yeah ridiculously young a lot of people start young but quite literally i think i've done it from as soon as i could hold a fishing rod that's incredible and, and, and always match fishing pretty much the actual match fishing journey for me started me, me nan and granddad had a caravan at Torxy on the river trent Ooh, yeah. um so all the sort of summers and six weeks holidays were spent down there so i used to go pleasure fishing a lot on Fosdyke Canal, the River Trent, that area. Um, but when I was eight, I heard about a junior day that was taking place at Shire Oaks, just round the corner from where I live. And um, it was run by the Worksop Junior Fishing Club. And they got all the adults from Worksop. Remember Ian? Can you remember Ian Turner, the first yeah, ever guy to I win do. fish show? Yeah. Right? I was at the story. first fish show, don't forget, mate. Although I wasn't working there, I was there. I've been to them all in one way or another. There you go. Well, believe it or not, I went to this kids' fishing day and Ian Turner said, come on, I'll do you a little demo. You can have a little go on my kit. And I sat with Ian Turner at the time. I didn't have a clue who we were. I hadn't done any match fishing. I was eight. And uh, I had a go. And I can remember really clearly we're using red silly bait, ground bait. Can you remember that one? Oh, I do, yeah. Red yeah. silly bait. Listen, um, mate, that's quite recent for me. There you, you know, go. Silly bait isn't ancient history to me. Oh, that's like <laughs> black and white days for me, Keith. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, I sat with Ian and he was catching these skimmers and he got me fishing. He was fishing corn and I remember it clear as a bell. And um, that particular day, Glyn Williams, who's the guy who ran the workshop junior, said, look, you're not old enough to fish a national yet. You've got to be 10. But if you want to come along and be a trainee with a team... You can. And at this point, Keith, I had a six-metre Diawa Harrier whip. You'll remember them. I do, yeah. Um, I had a pair of them, and that was like a long pole for me. And yeah. I went along for two years um, with the team, sort of practising, fishing all the practice matches. And I couldn't fish a national till I was 10. Um, but as soon as I were 10, I got picked for the team, and I fished my first ever one that was on the Bargate drain at Boston. And... This is like me throwing it back a bit. It was the last ever national that they had coaches to take people to the pegs on. Yeah. And I can remember going to the headquarters, jumping on the coach, getting dropped off at my peg. And, and that was sort of the first big competition that I fished. Lots of little club things and kids things before. But that little story there takes you from my pleasure fishing days through to actual competition fishing. I, I fished a national on the Bargate. I wonder if it was it was in the it was in the nineties, um, and I drew along along the roadside there. I did all right. I can't. I might have been fifth on the section. I, 
I think I might have sneaked a tench in a couple of skimmers. I'm not sure. But Go I, on, the tench. I had, I had some bits and bots and bits and bats and what. I started on the squat, got bored with that, shoved a bit of worm on, shoved a bit of worm in, stuck a worm on and a couple of casters eventually, and down it went. And, you know, thank you very much. <laughs> There's 50 Brilliant. roach in one lump. There's another 50 roach in another lump. Thank you. Here we go. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, to be honest, my fishing has been much like that. I love catching small fish. Um but I always want to catch a bigger one at the same time. So that that was so that was what ten, and you were into match fishing. Yeah, and I fished my first ever national at ten. Yeah, and that's a yeah. proper national. No, it was you're not allowed. You weren't allowed to fish a men's national. Oh no, of course 16 not. Sixteen because yeah, of pools, because um, of gambling. Yeah, yeah, we we won it as a team that particular one. Um, workshop junior cadets workshop cadets won it, and I was third individual. I had I think I had one kilo six hundred. And I can remember just squat fishing for little yeah. fish, throwing little balls of sloppy ground bait and uh, fishing squats and pinkies on the hook. Yeah. And those, ha- I remember the Harrier whips exceptionally well. They came out when I was working for Diver, three metre take apart, three metre telly. And they were just superb bits of kit and, and would still do an ex- a very, very good job today. And they yeah. must, yeah, so you're going back, what, when was the Harrier? Uh, so, what would I do? Thir- 25 years, 20 years. Yeah, 24 years ago, that 24 is. Years yeah, ago, 23 yeah. years ago. Wow, That's wow. crazy, that. You're making me feel old now, Keith. <laughs> Don't do this to me. Yeah, well, you know, I was I was wasn't quite drawing a pension then, but I was uh, I was <laughs> I was getting close to it. Um so that that's a, a hell of a jump though, isn't it? 10 years old fishing a junior na- a cadets national, but you fish mm. you fish with all is it a separate event or is it different age groups then? Do you Lots fish one diff- Lots of different age groups. You yeah. had, um, I think it was 10 to 13, 13 to 16, and 16 to 21. I think they were the three categories then. Yeah, it was Cadets, Junior and Youth, I think, wasn't it? Something like yeah. that, yeah. That, that's that's an amazing start. So so how did how did your national career um, carry on from there? Because you, you, you can technically fish open matches, I think, legally fish open matches, where there are optional pools, but you're not allowed to enter anything that's all in because it's uh, it's it's part of the gambling laws. But how, how did so how did you pursue a match fishing career from age 10? To be honest, Keith, I, I think I don't know what the rules are, but I fished matches at, yeah, of at 8, 9, 10. I fished club matches. Yep. From that point on, I started fishing opens and... To sort of fast track through, um, I carried on fishing the youth nationals till I were sort of 12, 13. When I was 12, it were on the River Neen in Peterborough. Um, and I actually won the individual that year, caught some bream on a pole. It was it were amazing. Red hot day, no one expected them to feed. And I caught some big bream on chopped worms on River Neen. Um, but when I was 13... I've obviously I'm into match fishing. I'm fishing open matches. I'm fishing the youth nationals. And someone mentioned these England trials that you could have to fish for the England youth teams. And I sort of gave me dad a, a jab in the ribs and said, "Come on, dad, I really, you know, we've got to have a crack at this." Um, and my family's not a match fishing background. They're just pleasure anglers. My dad, my granddad. And um, I went along to Makin's Fishery it was at, the first ever England trial. Steve Sanders was the manager at the time, so he selected the team. I didn't know anyone, Keith, none of them. <laughs> and we actually had a caravan, went down in this tour of caravan, had a few weekends practising, 
catching roach, but never sort of bowled in ground bait and fished that international style. Learned loads just practising for this first ever England trial at 13. And come the day of the trial, um, great story, you'll love this one. Come the day of the trial, um, or practising the day before, and I'm sat fishing and my dad sat behind me and this bloke came and sat next to me dad and started asking me about fishing. I did not have a tube of glue who this guy was. Um, but he obviously knew a thing or two about it because he said, have you tried, you know, throwing a little bit more ground bait in and loose feeding some cat, a little bit more, like feed some more bait, young un. And my dad walked off at this point and left me with this guy. I had no idea who this guy was at all. And he sat with me for about an hour and a half while I was fishing. And he actually went up the bank, got a piece of grass, put this piece of grass over my float because I couldn't see it properly. He said, you need a thicker tip on your float, young un. You, you need to be able to see it and read your bites. I'm like, who is this? Like this old, he obviously knows what he's doing fishing because I started catching more. Hour and a half. Anyway, he's gone, see you later, walked off. And my dad come back. I'm like, where have you been? And who were that? He went, you don't know who that were, do you? I says, I ain't got a clue. He says, that were Ivan Marks. Really? Yes. And, um... Yeah. He actually gave me dad his phone number that day and he said, look, if he gets through to a second trial, give me a ring um, and I'll come and have a day's fishing with him. So went to this first trial, caught some fish, did well, and actually got picked to go through to the final 10. I had a day's fishing with Ivan, practice, you know, put everything into it as you'd expect. Um, that was the only thing on earth that mattered to me at the time. So... Come the main, the, the final trial, um, fish did well, but didn't get selected, unfortunately. I would just missed out. 13 years old, little squeaky ginger kid, lanky, streak of nothingness, basically. And obviously, Steve Sanders never seen or heard of me before, so he'd gone with experience. However, the year after I came back, foot taller, foot wider, um, and managed to get into the team at 14 years of age. That were at Thurston Lakes, and at, so at 14, I actually got selected, um, and were lucky enough to go away and fish with the England youth team. So that little journey there, it's nice because there's a few peaks and troughs in it, and I think a lot of younguns, when they get to that stage where they fish something like a trial and don't get selected, it's very easy to turn your back on it, be negative and not step up and take on the challenge, learn what you need to learn to actually get into that kind of team. And I always like to tell that story because I think there's a lot of young'uns will be in that position in the fishing, you know. Um, so, yeah, got turned down the first year, didn't get in, worked very, very hard, went fishing a lot and got selected and ended up fishing for the England youth team. It's a great story as well because I actually know that person is, is, is what I'm going to say, but I know people. Mm. That, that that person you just described, the one who gives up, um, I know more than one of those, and I also know Swanee. I, you know, I fished with Steve Saunders for donkeys years with, uh, as yes. in on the same matches, always against him because he was always dorking and I was never dorking, and he's he's a great lad. He, yes, I, I could tell you a story about a match he won on the Thames at, at, on New Year's Day, beating me into second place, but I won't because it might sound like sour grapes. <laughs> He's a, Being, he's a great guy, Keith. Yeah, he is. He is a great guy. It was my fault. It was my fault. He won it that day because he ran the match. He'd measured out where we could get him forty-five pegs, sold forty-five pegs, and not put his own name down. So when oh, we'd no. finished the draw, he, 
There's no peg. And everyone shows How many times you go on a match New Year's Day and everyone shows up? Come on, it's not happening, is it? Mm. So mm. I said, oh, just stick one in above peg one, Swanee. You'll be all... No, and it's not a very good area. Going, you know, stick one in above peg one. There was nowhere below the MPEG. There were no downstream MPEGs he could get in. But peg one was on the top end of a wall. So he put himself in above that. And there's a big line of moored up boats. that They're anchored boats because it's tidal and they're anchored offshore. And he put himself on the end of them about a fair few fair few metres above peg one. And he won the match at £28.4 a day. So I was second with £27.7. I, in fact, wow. I, I had two dorking confusions that day because I had a little debate with Steve Gardner, who I think was, he might have been third. Um... Because I had twenty, I had a hundred and six. I don't, I rarely count fish, but I used to on the tidal because I always used to aim hundred and twenty in winter winter matches. And I had a hundred and sixteen dace and a flounder for twenty seven pounds seven. And Stevie Gardner said, "You can't count them; they're sea fish." And I looked at the river. I said, "That's not the sea, and that's where I caught it. <laughs> this one is a river fish, and there's plenty of them there anyway." But so that was, yeah, that was a lovely day. That was twenty seven seven, and got beat on dace on New Year's Day. Wow, like, what a day's fishing though. Amazing oh, fabulous, fishing. mate. Yeah, I threw in nine pints of bait, um, fished a 14 foot stick, 14 foot rod with a stick on, sort of sat, in, sat at an angle, fished about eight foot from the bank. And it's lovely, anyway, yeah, lovely bit of flow. There was an ice rink behind me in those days, a block of flats there now. Wow. But they, they were the days. Um, so you then got from, you, you got into the international setup. Mm. And from then on, I mean, it is. It is literally the yellow brick road, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, obviously there's so many ups and downs with that kind of thing, Keith. And once you get sucked in and get a taste for that kind of fishing, I think it's very difficult. If you're driven and you enjoy that kind of thing and you, you get a little bit addicted to the pressure and the buzz, um, it's very hard to step out from it. And I'm as deep into it now as I ever can be. And I, and I really can't see me ever not wanting to do it, you know, and that's, I mean, you're talking what, 20 years nearly now, 19 years I've been involved with the England um, set up from being 13 and 33. Yeah. That's a in, long time, that. In your early 30s, you're a veteran. It's incredible. But very lucky, I had some great experiences, amazing times, met some fantastic people and been to so many different venues and diverse fishing situations, you know, I'm really, really grateful. And the the thing is, if I hadn't gone to Makings and if I hadn't gone to that first trial and that little early bit there was sort of fate, you know, as, you, as looking back on it now as to what I ended up doing. Yeah. Yeah, we can sometimes impress on, on our future, can't we? We can do mm. things that will make a difference in the in the years to come. So so just take us through the journey from from your first international match for England. Where was it? First ever one um, at 14 was a place called Novi Sad in Serbia. Um, and that was a really weird situation. I'd not been abroad a lot at all in my life. Um, so to then go to Serbia to fish a world championship was quite daunting really and just at that time 2005 this was obviously it's not that long after all the trouble in former Yugoslavia that yeah. eastern block we got there all the bridges in the town over the Danube were still temporary bridges all the buildings were you know littered with bullet holes and you could sense this um, atmosphere of eeriness on the town and the people and everything so quite a weird 
place to go for your first ever world championship fishing with the England team. And we were on a cut-off channel from the, from the River Danube, a canal that came off it. And it was fantastic fishing. There were only three-hour matches at the time. And this place was mainly full of catfish, small poisson chats, um, little spiky ones. Remember, I had to have a tetanus injection before I went, just in case I got spiked. That were nice, weren't it? Hey, you are young and fish for England. We're going to stick some needles in you. Yeah, especially um, in the bits where they stick the tetanus needles. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Brace yourself. Um, also, a lot of little skimmers in there, loads of little skimmers. And it turned out to be a bloodworm match, um, short pole and long pole, sort of six metres and 11 metres, throwing in soft balls of ground bait, potting in hard balls full of soil, catching lots and lots of fish. And that particular year at 14, Oliver Scothorne was in the team, who was Alan's son. So Alan was on the bank and obviously a big help. Um, at the time, I think he'd only won three of his world champs, something like that, maybe four. But he certainly hadn't won his five. Um, and he obviously taught the team a lot. Steve Sanders had him part of the management almost. So he was coaching us, training us, talking about the feeding. And it was Steve and Alan that clocked the feeding. You had to throw in these soft balls of lake and lean to make a cloud, but then pop these heavier balls of soil that we dug off the bank full of joker to sort of pin the fish to the bottom. And to be honest, we wiped clean that first year. We we won as a team. I won my section both days and managed to win the individual world championship at 14, which was amazing. But the team also won, which was even more amazing. First ever time away with England. And to make things even better, um, Oliver Scothorn were third individual. I think young Sam Perkins, she were fourth. Um and the under-21s also won, and Pem Writing got silver. So between the two teams, we took home an awful lot of brass that weekend. Gold, silvers, bronzes, um, but most importantly, two team gold medals, and I were lucky enough to win the individual. So adding to that story I've already told you, I sort of went from you know getting turned down from the England team at 13 to winning a world championship at 14. So it was a real fast track of experience and learning for me yeah now, now of course like in the the junior nationals you mentioned there's an age calibration in the 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 world championships as well isn't there so there's there's three groups i don't know were england in the lower group then or were they were they in the cadets then or because you would you'd have just have been a junior wouldn't you back then there was only two groups ah, in the world champs there was right. under 16s and under 21s um, but since then, it's changed now. So there's under 15s, under 20s and under 25s yeah. now. Uh, but that's only been sort of recent. As I grew up, I was very lucky. I've stayed in that England youth setup throughout um, my sort of younger fishing life. And I kept getting an odd extra year because they kept adding <laughs> years onto the age group. So I sort of stayed in that team. So I think I was 22 or 23 because um, they kept adding years on. So I got, to, I fished every year um, and went to some really cool places. So I ended up fishing in the under-16s, the under-18s and the under-23s, I think it was, when I were a part of it. And and I know you you don't like doing this because I, I know you as a character, I know you as a person, uh, because we've met a few times and we have chatted a couple of times. Uh, you are not a trumpeter, but just for the purposes of this 
because there will be people, believe it or not, that don't know. Just tell us what your record is. To be, I couldn't tell you, Keith. Um, <laughs> obviously, I was lucky enough, you, you know, on the, on them sort of events, to do well, you need a good team behind you. That's the most important thing, because whether you do well as a team or individual, it's everyone's ideas compiled that create a plan that you put into action on the match days of the weekend. Um, and I were really lucky. I grew up with some amazing anglers who were all out there still doing it now in the team. The management were phenomenal. Steve Saunders and, and Mark Downs in later years in under-23s. Um, and I were lucky enough to win loads of medals. We, we won a team medal, I think, most years. I think out of, I think between 14 and 23, there was only two years where we didn't win a team medal um, when I actually fished. So many different places. And I were lucky enough to win three individual golds and an individual silver um, as well in that time. And the silver, good. it's, it's great talking about the gold ones, Keith, but um, the silver one, I actually missed out on winning by 30 grams. Um, so that one, oh. were, you know, hard to swallow, but it makes a great story. That's that's even less than I missed out on on gold on the uh, the Visual Man National. Not that I'm bitter about that, but an, <laughs> an, an ounce and three quarters at least has the is fifty grams. So you know it's um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you were closer than me. Um, Crazy. Yeah, and, and this what makes me smile. And I was smiling all the way through that. Is that this was exactly at the time when we were all told us ancient experts. People were saying in every kind of angling media that commercial fisheries are killing the youth coming through in our sport. You've heard it. I mean, you, yeah. you, you, you didn't hear it. In, well, you probably heard it then, but you didn't understand it um, mm. because you, you, you couldn't see it happening. But even today... I, I, you know, the youngsters aren't any good at... This is mostly Southern-centric, where they mm. only see young people go out with three rods and a motorised bivvy and have three journeys around the lake to deliver their kit, whereas turn up, put their box down, tackle up and start fishing. That, that's the difference between, between the North, um, which starts, I suppose, at about Northampton, Mm. And, and the south and, and down here, I mean, we struggle to sell Fishermania qualifiers out down here. Um, yeah. And, and that's that's the huge difference. And and in although you've got miles more commercial fisheries than we've got, they're more match-oriented commercial fisheries. And, mm. and the, the match-fishing thing is so strong. And you, my opinion is you don't learn about fishing match-fishing by blanking. No, you need you to learn, be catching fish. You need need to be catching fish. You can learn about carp fishing by blanking. Definitely yeah. can do that. But you can't, and you'll know because you've done some of that too. You you can't learn about um, match fishing by not catching anything and thinking, oh, that's a shame. He's caught loads and I've not. It, that, that doesn't work. So we, we just skip out the fishing for a little bit in, in, in a slight way. Did, did you always intend, and now obviously your career is fishing, um, did, did you always intend that to be uh, a thing or was it, did, did you have a real job and did you slip into fishing um, media in, uh, particularly via another means? Um, it's a weird little story for me, Keith, to be honest. I'd never, 
I never sort of thought I'd, I want to. I always wanted to work in fishing, obviously, like as a kid. That's a dream, though. You're living in La La Land at 14, 15, if you're thinking, I'm going to make a career out of fishing. That's the dream. Um, but at that point, I'm still at school and I'm doing my GCSEs, etc. So um, I thought about being a teacher at times because I got a lot of time off on holiday to go fishing. Um, but then I also thought, mm, certain events in fishing aren't when I'm off on holiday. So that might not be the one. So I never knew what I wanted to do. And I got to 16 and I thought I'll stay on at sixth form in school. Um, so I stayed on and I just took the subjects that either had got really good looking teachers teaching us or that I actually enjoyed. So geography, <laughs> geography, I really enjoyed geography. That was great. You? Volcanoes, rivers, you know, landscapes. I was semi-interested in that. Uh, business, really fit teacher. She was hot. So I definitely took business studies. And I also took media because she was kind of hot and I kind of liked it. So they were sort of my three things that I took for sixth form. Um, and then I went on. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished sixth form. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go to uni. I got a job in a tackle shop, Mosborough Tackle, um, at the time. And I worked in there most Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, skipped an awful lot of lectures while I was riddling casters off. Um, but went to uni. And I did a degree in physical geography. And you know what? I really enjoyed it. It was... Like every day I went to uni, we're like watching an interesting documentary on TV. It was things that I was genuinely interested in. I got to go to uni, sit and listen to scientists and experts talk about cool stuff that I were interested in. And I was very, very lucky to sort of um, find university interested in that way. I stayed at home and just travelled in every day to Sheffield. But I've got a great story for you about uni. Got to the third year. And we have to pick a topic that you do your degree on. Um, not your degree, your dissertation. So it's like the final thing at the end of uni. You do this 20,000 word um, scientific paper you have to write. And they've got all the lecturers lined up at the front. And some of them were like space scientists and volcanologists and geologists and everything. And there was this one in the middle, and she were about 32, really good looking. And I'm jabbing my mate, saying, look, she's all right, isn't she? She must have only just finished university. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these people stood up. And one of them, Dr. Edward Hanna, talking about, I don't know, the Big Bang Theory and stuff. And, and, and you had to pick one of these tutors to do your dissertation with based on their expertise. And three or four people come up and they were talking about rocks and volcanoes and plate tectonics, such and such. And this hot one got up, blonde lady, I won't mention her name, I don't know if she'll listen to this or not, but she was nice. And she stood in front of everyone and she's gone, hi, I'm Dr. Such and Such and I take a massive interest in rivers and the ecology of rivers. And at this point, I'm jumping up out of my seat, waving my hand in the air, sign me up, get me signed up. <laughs> um, so I ended up doing my dissertation. I did it on the, um, basically about macroinvertebrates in rivers. Um, and I studied at how concrete and towns and stuff affect what lives in rivers. It was great. And I really enjoyed it. And I fit, as I was doing that dissertation, I was actually sampling, um, scraping the bottom of the, a Derbyshire River Y in Bakewell, 
getting invertebrate samples and putting them in little pots of alcohol to take numbers of them. And I got a phone call while I'm doing my dissertation, and it was David Hall at oh, Match yeah. Fishing Pole Fishing yeah. Magazine. Yeah. And he says, hi, Matt. Um, I understand you're at uni at the minute. However, um, back end of the year, we're going to have a job come up, and I'd love to have a little chat with you about it. If you want to come to my house, we'll have a curry and have a little natter. So before I'd even finished uni, I'm just sort of doing my dissertation, etc. I went and met with David Hall. My friend Tom Scully worked yeah. with him at the time. Um, and he basically offered me a job as assistant editor at uh, Pole Fishing Magazine. So I was very lucky that I came out of uni um, basically with a job lined up already to go and do that. And that's how I sort of got into the fishing industry straight away. I'd done work... I've, I've always had enthusiasm for promoting angling. I used to write a little column in the Angling Star in Sheffield and done features for different magazines, etc. and always liked writing them, getting pictures, that kind of thing. So I'd, I'd got a ground in, in doing that, just out of interest. But then David kindly offered me this role. Of course I accepted it. And I ended up moving to Daventry at 21 and um, working on Pole Fishing Magazine. Didn't have 15 years laying carpets and selling furniture then before you started in the tackle business. No, did a lot of riddling maggots in the yeah, tackle oh, shop. Yeah, yeah that, that turned into my full-time job much later. Well, not not only riddling maggots, but uh, yeah, I, I, learned, I learned pretty much. I could probably do a t- dissertation on um, different kinds of maggots, their casters, how the best way is to produce them and store them. I, I'm probably capable of, of and 20,000 words is no problem for me that <laughs> I'll knock that out over breakfast so <laughs> but, but that, that's a fascinating story and of course um I, I worked for Dave Hall for a very brief period in a very different way yeah. um but and, and but I wrote for him for Got ya. oh I don't know a long time 79 78 79 I think was might wow. have been my first um my first time when, when there was only course fishermen Right, so it was only right. David, David Hall's course fishing then, wasn't it? David Hall's course fisherman. That I can was remember the, seeing um, the archives of them when I yeah. worked there. They'd got them all, yeah. Yeah, my, my first ever article was um, about the um, London Anglers Association and their approach to the block end feeder, which the chairman of said association called an infernal machine that should be banned from all kinds of fishing. <laughs> so that was uh, yeah that was that was my, I, I wrote it as a fairy tale actually right right and uh, literally as a fairy tale and, and, incredible and, and he sent it back to me and said look just write it properly and, yeah. and and so you know the evil prince disappeared and and um the bad the bad baron went and it, it, it turned into a i wish i'd kept a copy of it because now of course on computers you do but when it's written longhand in in an a4 reporter's pad it that you don't tend to keep them if i did i'd need another two or three offices so yeah, yeah that's interesting that's an that's a um a, 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 a lovely way to get into fishing and, mm, and mm. now I, i've um I've got various views on this over what's happened to me in my career because I've, I've basically worked in fishing from about 1978 in wow. various forms. Maggot, maggot riddling, running, managing tackle shops, being a rep, then going into my, my kind of the media, chatting into a microphone, looking into a camera, that kind of thing. Um, and I can't make my mind... I, I, I've said this story on here before, but I once drew next to Pete Clapperton, who you'll know, yeah. In in uh, in Ireland on Corner Grade, 
And and I drew the point, peg 20, well, on the point of a bay. It's not actually a point. It's on the point end of a bay. And Pete drew back in the bay on, on 21. And he said, oh, it'll be a roach match today. And I thought, well, it ain't going to be a roach match for me. But he, he started, <laughs> well, you know, I, I was rigged up, mate, 10 metres to hand with a seven grand float on and, and, and two bread trays full of ground bait beside me with a gallon of maggots in one and half a gallon, a gallon of casters in one and half a gallon of maggots to, to use on the hook. And... Um, he, we, we, we got going, and, and I had to wait a little while to start catching bream, but Pete was catching rope straight away, and he looked at me, he said, do you know, I can't make my mind up whether this is heaven or hell. Mm, because mm. he was swinging out and catching a six-ounce roach. He'd swing out again and catch a six-ounce roach. And he'd swing out again and catch a six-ounce roach. Yeah. And, and it's like the golfer who, who holds every shot, isn't it? It's, it's, is it really what you want? It's for a while, and then after a while we get fed up with it. How, how did you find working in, in the industry, the whole tackle industry, impacted on your approach to the sport? Um, I think it's one of them, Keith. I, I've always been very wary, and I'm sure you probably can sort of say you're similar. I were always very wary of letting it become too much and making sure that I kept my fishing and my work, I can't really say balanced because it does all mingle into one. But the I think what helped me is the level that I did my match fishing at and how seriously I took my match fishing, even now it's so much more intense than say the work to me personally i take it so much more seriously and i enjoy that seriousness and that drive to do well and that competition element that when i do go to work i'm sort of quite relaxed and i've never found it difficult in the sense of like i can't do my job but i always find it interesting so i've always managed to keep them a little bit separate and i think that the main reason for that is because of how competitive I am when I actually go in a match fishing, into match fishing mode, if you know what I mean. I sort of snap into a mode that not a lot of people, everyone sees me as quite a, you know, chatty, lively, chilled out person. But when I do fish a match, it's amazing how many times I draw next to someone, Keith, and they'll be, we'll have a good chat at start and a bit of banter, etc. But when I actually fish... I hardly talk, I concentrate like crazy, I enjoy being as good as I can possibly be on the box on that day. And it's incredible how many people come and tap me on the shoulder after and go, you're not, you're really serious, aren't you, when you're fishing? And I'm like, yes, the most serious that I can possibly be. But then snap back out of it when they shout time again. And the fact that I've got this thing built into me where I want to take it that serious and I enjoy taking it that serious. Helps me separate work and fishing, if you know what I mean. That's incredible because obviously I never got to your level in fishing because I'm going to say I never really wanted to and I didn't really want to because I love and enjoy fishing, especially Mm. match fishing, and I love and enjoy fishing how I want to fish. And that doesn't mean I'm not a good team man, because I am a good team man, and I will give everything for the cause for the team. Mm. And and I enjoy sitting for one chub on a big lump of bread as much as I enjoy, you know, catching 12 pound of roach out the neon on hemp, and as much as I enjoy catching 120 days down at the Tidal Thames, which I can almost see through my window, um, yeah. on the stick float on a winter's day. And in those days, you could do it. 
But I, I never took it to the nth degree because I didn't want my fishing to be dictated to by someone else. So yes. I, I, I never, whether I could have made it, who knows, you don't know. I doubt if I could because I was too old at the time. London didn't get to match fishing till too late in the day for me. But I, I never took it to that level. So I do understand that. And, and I do have, although you won't believe me, I know, I do have a little crib sheet. I don't right. do any. I don't do any research. Well, I do a tiny, tiny bit of research because sometimes I want to bring things out in people that they mm. might not, not they won't want to, but they might consider not important enough. So I, I do do a tiny, tiny bit of research. I know most people. I, 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 I know enough about YouTube that we could sit down and talk for three hours. <laughs> with, with, you know, through every course of a, a, a an, an eight um, course taster menu at an important restaurant, we could do that. Um, Sounds but, quite good to me, that. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe we'll get to that. But I, I, I do have a little crib sheet, and this, uh, and I, I write questions, but I, I never read them as I write them. I always paraphrase mm. them. But this is exactly how I've written this question. And there's a bit of paper it's written on, and it says, "You seem to have so much fun in your fishing, but you obvious, you're obviously very focused." Mm. I didn't put an apostrophe e in. Does anything wind you up? So that's that, so the first part of the question you've already answered. Because mm. you're obviously very focused, and you, you you have got that switch, that the, the communication switch goes into mute at the time you want it to. I used to do not exactly the opposite, but I used to com keep communicating with people: one to let them know how many I was catching and they weren't, or two to find out how they were catching when I wasn't. Mm. So mm. That, that, but but you've obviously got your plans. You do it, but does anything wind you up? Um, I try not to let it to. I'd say the the thing that I don't, I'm not good in. I'm not good in a negative situation. I can't. I don't like negativity in anything in my fishing, in work, in in any of that. And and getting through any negativity with a bit of positive thinking, I think, is really healthy. Whatever it is, tough family times, terrible matches, things going wrong at work. Uh, some people quickly get negative and, and nothing, I've never really had anything that's that bad. Like when you strip things back, you have a bad match. You know, you're on a world championships, Keith, and you do terrible for the team, for the England team. You do terrible and you you have a bad peg and you catch nothing and you, inverted commery bunny rabbit ears, let the England team down. Strip it back. It's not that bad. It's a fishing match, you know. It means the world to you, but you've been selected to fish for England and people normally um, accept that you're good enough to do that and you've tried your best. And I think that the only thing that does annoy me is negativity and, and you get it in every form of life. I get some negativity at work. I'll learn to deal with it. I get quite a bit in fishing. You see it on social media sometimes. You get it. You get it on the bank. But it's yeah. just certain different people that have a slightly different outlook. And and it, and it, whenever I get that, whether it's someone moaning about a video you've done or whether it's someone commenting on how much better the England team should have done on the world champs because Bob Nudd's not in the team anymore. And and they did better then when Bob Nudd in that. You know, people, I don't like narrow-minded negativity. It's the only thing that niggles me, but I'm I'm probably so far the other way, and I, I'm 
it's a lot easier, you know, my dad always used to say to me, it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile, and it's so, so true. And if you can sort of try and be on that positive side of things all the time, I think it really, really helps, and you don't get that many things that will annoy you. I think it was one in one of Hawley's magazines, they had um, a, a line of features about PMA, positive mental attitude, mm. and how it can impact on your fishing and if you think negative somebody says oh you've drawn crap there I had that three weeks ago never had a mm. bite and blah 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 you will fish it like you're not going to have a bite or it's going to be crap and, and and if you don't do that if you go with an open mind sometimes I mean I don't know how many bad pegs of one fishing matches but you probably know hundreds and I probably know thousands yeah, yeah. and you've probably drawn some of them yeah and so have you definitely yeah. <laughs> one or two <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that that's really interesting. That is that 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 you're able to do that because you know I've in the past I have actually jumped up and down on a fishing rod because I lost a fish. Mm, it, mm. it was it was in specific circumstances a very long time ago because it was a glass fibre fishing rod. Um, mm. But I, I I put it on the ground and jumped up and down on it and said you're not going to do that again to me are you? And and I learnt that from a friend of mine who who was probably the greatest match angler I ever fished with who used to do exactly the same thing. I watched him lose a bream that was probably eight pound not on a match pleasure fishing at a lake he'd been trying to catch one of these bream for for, for months and he mm. calmly wound fishing a swing tip less than long ago it was and he calmly wound in. Took the reel off, took the bit the, the the bomb link off, stuck that in his bag, wound the line in, took the reel off, took the rod in half, it was a two-piece ten-foot rod, and snapped it over his knee. Oh, no. And, yeah, and uh, and I said, mate, what are you doing? He said, oh, it's all right, it's not my rod. And he, he, he actually <laughs> borrowed the rod off someone, and, and I've, I've managed to get out of that, and I don't smash tackle anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think and, there's, a and, fine, there's a fine line, like, it should annoy you. If you do, but if you're a keen match angler, you do bad, and it doesn't annoy you. There's something wrong, but yes. there's a line between it bugging you. Like I'm terrible when I do bad. I've had a couple of poor matches last sort of few weeks where I know I should have done better, and in myself, I'm thinking, you, you should have done this and you should have done that. You're an idiot. Like you, you've got experience that you should be making them decisions better, and it really annoys me. But I never want to get to the stage where I'm putting a rod over my knee or I am I let that annoyance out by not talking to the people next to me. Or, oh, I couldn't do You that, know, yeah. like, yeah. I, I find it really good to talk about stuff. I can't ever not... If I think something, Keith, I can't ever not say it. So if I have a no, bad no. match, I'm a bloke next to me. How have you gone on? Ter- like, I've caught a few fish, mate, but I'm really peeved with myself you know i'm angry i've made a few bad decisions today I think I sh- you know i feel like if you can get it out it really helps so i think making sure that when you are I- i'd never want it to be come across negative if i had a bad experience if you know what i mean i think in a way like you mentioned way back at the beginning about ivan sitting next to you saying try a mm. bit more of this a bit more of that i never mind not having the best result by trying to catch too many fish. But I do get annoyed by not having the best result, not trying to catch enough. Do, mm. do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I, you know, somebody says to me, this is going to be a one fish match. 
and and I approach it to catch one fish. When that catch that one fish and relax, I get very fed up. But when um, when somebody says it's going to be a one fish match and I catch that one fish, I think right now I want to catch another one, and mm. it wants to be a bit bigger than that last one. And and I think there is if if you err on the side of positivity, I don't think that's bad. And you are a person that's always going to err on the side of positivity. Uh, positivity. And I know once you've thrown it in, you can't take it out again. But I'd rather throw it in and know it's there than wish I'd have thrown it in at the beginning instead of it in my bait bag. Yeah, yeah. And the nice thing is, with everything we've just talked about and what you're saying there is, and the beauty about match fishing is, don't matter how old you are, every single time you go, you add to that massively oh. important factor of experience. Every single every time. Every time. The two matches I fished this weekend... I learnt some stuff that I can use next weekend and the weekend after and, and there on forward, you know, and, and that's something that's quite magical about fishing and I think the good anglers or the best anglers really remember it, take note and then apply it when they're in that situation again. I, I, I've not I've not really had match fishing heroes, but I have had match anglers that I look up to and mm. I, I, I've not mentioned this many times, Stevie Gardner's one of them. Yes. And I will often sit in it for obvious reasons. And and, and I will, and he had a career path like you. I mean, there was no England stuff in those days, but he won his first match at 14 and so on. And Great angler, great guy, oh, Keith. Got a and, lot of and respect you know, for Steve. I, when I was match fishing regularly, if things weren't going right, I used to put my kit down, fold my arms and say, now what would Gardner do? Yeah, yeah. Now, have you got anyone? Have you got a Gardner? Have you got a Scott Horn or a... a Keith Hobson or, you know, Dennis or any, Tommy, any of those. Yeah, I'm, I am so lucky, Keith, that I am in a position where I've grown up in a great area and being able to call people like Alan Scothorn uh, a friend and I've fished with him and alongside him, I wouldn't say with him, alongside him yeah. from being very, very young and he's always helped me. Um, and and with, there's a few, like Alan, I think is phenomenal at fishing he's got a mindset that no one else has mm. i also met will raisin at a very <laughs> young age 16 17 I, I got to speak to will and i get to fish with him in the england team now and he's very different to alan but just as incredible and alan and will in my opinion are two of the very best that there's ever been on the planet yeah. Um, but I hope there's so many people like Lee Kerry, for example. He's more, he, he, I'm a lot closer to Lee than I am Alan or Will in the sense that I sent him a picture last night when I was nearly naked, sat on the toilet just for a laugh. <laughs> uh, and but but that's that's my relationship with Lee and yeah. me and him are travelling together Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and we'll go out for some. You know, he's a super close mate, as is. James Dent, I travel mm. the world with James and I have done for a long time. So, but all them people, Tom Scully, different again, don't do the international thing, but I've lived with him for six years and I'm lucky that I have so many great anglers and people that um, I've been able to influence my fishing. And I'd say that if you had to say name a few, I'd say Alan and Will, Alan Scoffhorn and Will Raise, and I mm. hold in that you know, royalty of fishing status. Yes. Them two for me, what they've won, their achievements, the mindset, the drive, the dedication is next level. They are, in my opinion, the best two. But then 
I've got so many other people. James Dent, incredible. Lee Kerry, incredible. But there's, there's, I could probably name you 20 at that mm. sort of level that I think are amazing, amazing anglers. Steve Ringer, I've worked with him. He's different to them all, but amazing. He's got his own way. He's got his own style. He, he wins. He wins. He's, he's, he's a little bit messy. He's a little bit quirky. He figures it out his own way. But he wins so much and... There's a lot of very good anglers out there, Keith. You're, you're very lucky in a way to, to work with so many of those um, in your media roles as well because um, there's no doubt that's how, that's how to get things rubbing off on you in fishing. It, it's it's not just time spent on the bank. And, and, and Oh, another thing about Will as well, and, and obviously I've known Will since he was 12, 13 mm. through fishing with his dad in various various guises against his dad years and years ago in, in winter yeah. leagues and stuff and I, I've, I've watched will grow up I've, I've been I've partnered with him a few times on on pairs matches at Gold Valley so I know um, I, I know I know a bit about will yeah. don't play him don't play him at Paul don't play I tell you no. what don't play him at anything he's no. an absolute devil he's yeah. he's one of them who is good at everything do you know yeah. last year right I gave him a free shot with a ball of sticky mag I bet I was. 50 metres away, right? Yeah. We were in Portugal, and I pulled my pants down so he could see my bottom, <laughs> and I went, go on, I'll give you one shot. And he pulled his elastic back, and he got it smack in the middle of the crack. Really? Smack in the middle, 50 metres away. Never, he's unreal. Yeah, yeah, he is. There's no doubt. No doubt. Darts. Another one, that's Bullard, of course, but that's a, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a completely different kettle of fish. I'll have to get him on here one day, but I don't know whether the recording device would take it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a, I, I, I took him to catch his first ever river barbel, you know. He'd never caught a river barbel. Wow. We had, two, we had two matches on tight lines against each other. I went and fished when he was... he just left Wigan, actually, at the time to come down to Fulham. And I went and fished with him up there on, on, on one of the fisheries. And... Um, I got some advice off Andy May. Right. And um and I just beat him. I told him he'd won, Never. like you always do, didn't you? I told him he'd won. And I think I beat him by about a pound and a quarter. Fantastic. How and, did he and, take that? Well, like he takes everything that he doesn't win. Mm. He he went mm. a bit quiet and yeah, I bet he did. I yeah. bet he did. And and then when he'd come down here and done a lot of fishing down here, we had a return match at Old Berry Hill. And um <laughs> <laughs> I'll beat him there and all. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an old man, mate. I've been fishing for a long time. And um, <laughs> anyway, he, he wanted to catch a river barbel. And this was, wasn't was for tight lines. This was for Soccer Saturday. So right. I said, oh, yeah, we, we can do that. And, and a river not too far away from me was in nice condition for barbel at the time. I got permission from the club. to I'm a member, but I got permission from him to go and fish it, from them to, for Jimmy to go and fish it. And I had to carry his gear. It was when he had that brace on, when he was um, when he had that really terrible cruciate knee ligament injury. And yeah. um, I carried his gear along the bank, stuck it in this peg where I'd caught barbel from in the past. And he had a chub, first of all, fishing the bomb and pellet because it was hacking through. And he was getting a bit bored and we had a cameraman on the other bank and he was firing pellets at the cameraman and everything. Then he had to rescue his rod. It went right the way around. <laughs> and he fought this fish. He got it and netted it. Nice barbel, £8.10. And then he, he lost a bit of patience after. He lost a bit of interest after. He said, go on, you have a go. You have a... No, 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 no. I'm not going to have a go, Jim. No, I'm not going to. And he eventually talked me into it. So I went two pegs downstream and had one £12.7. Never. <laughs> on camera. Wow, I'd love to see that. I wish yeah. I'd watched that. Bullard's good at everything. 
Yes, yes. Incredible. He'll put a golf ball down and whack it 300 metres in the middle of the fairway. And yeah, it's a shame. Um, There's a few so, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't you just hate them? Um, yeah. <laughs> now, 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 we're on to your international, your senior fishing now. And, and again, give us a quick rundown, if you can remember, of, of the, the, the big matches that you've won, the important matches, the feature matches, the ones that everybody wants to win. Um, this, this, you know, for me, a lot of them are team related. We've won, I've won three or four Division One nationals with a Barnsley team on the trend. We've won loads of Census Challenge finals. I've won that individually. Um, White Acres Festivals. Been lucky enough to win a couple of them. Um, and then River. I, I love fishing River Festivals, Keith. Um, you know, tidal Trent festivals, River Tees festivals all that kind of thing. Um, I've done a lot of different fishing, but internationally, um, European champs this year just gone, 2022, was probably one of the most emotional that I've won in recent years um, with a team because it was the first ever gold team medal um, that we'd won with what I'd call the youngsters that have been involved with the England setup. Um, when I first got picked for the um, Europeans team, it was Lagervart Canal in Holland about eight or ten years ago now. And we've had lots of medals, you know, bronzes, um, silvers, close calls. But we've never won a team gold in the last sort of eight years with what I'd call the Young England team. So myself, Cameron Hughes and James Dent all in the squad. Um, alongside Simon Willsmore, Will Raisin and Steve Emingray. So a lovely mix of experience and youth. And winning the gold in Portugal in June last year was incredible. Um, the moment that we realised we'd run. To beat Portugal in Portugal is a, a yeah. real mean feat. You know, it, it's it's a big achievement. They are, on home soil, pretty much renowned for being unbeatable. Fishing mm. for... Weird fish, barbel that feed up in the water on sticky mag on a waggler and loose feeding on a pole and fishing tiny floats. Like, really interesting. But um, we were behind them after day one and day two, it was ridiculously close. And the moment I realised that we'd won, Downsy came running along the wall at the top. I could see him coming. I was sat in my box just waiting for a result. Um, and as he come down the steps, I saw him wipe his eye. And I thought, we've won this. And he just came up to me with his arm out. Um, and he couldn't he couldn't talk because he'd have burst into tears. And when he put his arms around me, I burst into tears. Um, mm. And it weren't until that moment that I think there were a bit of pressure relief and release because um, it, it is pressure on. When you are that younger generation and you are following in the footsteps of a lot of people we've talked about on this podcast so far, it does put you under pressure and until we'd got that first gold, the win under the belt, people can always ask questions and you'll always have that little bit of, of maybe negativity and that for me was a special moment. The first ever gold medal with the England senior team and alongside my best mate or one of my best mates, James Dent, Cam, Again, one of the younger ones as well. Um, it was special. It was a really special one for me, that. And the only other... The other 
one that I always um, hold up there with probably the one of the best things that I've ever won is winning the World Club Championship with Barnsley. Um, totally different to um, fishing for England. Although you're representing England as a club, the Barnsley team is so close. We work so hard and we are all genuine good friends. You know, we... we, we spend our spare time together we talk pretty much every day and winning the world club championships was incredibly special for us all again quite a young team frankie jan Ancelli, james dent lee kerry myself alan um sam wildsmith and a load of help on the bank and we'd actually come we'd, we'd had loads of close calls we'd come third fourth think we'd come second but we'd never won it and we always wanted to and we went to france a canal saint quentin and um it suited us it was similar fishing to what we have on the stain for the keepy roach skimmers we sorted a really cool feeding technique out for the roach you had to feed a load of joker close in for the skimmers you had to feed hardly anything because if you got roach in the peg the skimmers wouldn't settle and we figured it out as a team and we won it. And that were one of the other most emotional um, wins for me. But totally different to with the England team. Because I felt like we won that as best friends. And it had been an adventure. We'd had so many close calls. And the moment that it sort of set in for me there was... We'd got Dennis with us that week. Dennis White. Mm. And he'd been away on World Club Championships with the Barnsley Blacks for 30 years and they'd never won one. And Dennis is cracking on now, you know. He's not yeah, on, what yeah. he used to be. Um, I'd love to get him on the podcast myself any uh, at some point um, and have a good chat with him. But You need to pay for subtitles. Oh, now then, big time. Um, but he was there that week and we'd won and we'd all had a good old cry and what have you. And we were at the presentation and... Um, when they called out the winners are England, Drennan, Barnsley, Blacks, Dennis stood up and sort of led the team onto stage and you could just Fabulous. see how proud he were. And, yeah. and as a young angler, you know, I'm 28 at that point probably, and I just thought my granddad used to talk about Dennis White Dennis and White. the Barnsley Blacks. and In hushed tones. Yes, yeah. in you know they were Dennis was one of his heroes. Of course, yeah. and to have that same man leading our team up to collect a gold medal in the World Club Champs is is extra special. Um, mm. You know, for me, it's got an awful lot of depth and meaning. So that again, one of the big ones that whenever I get asked that question, you ask me, you know, what are the ones that you remember and mean a lot to you? Definitely that World Club Champs with Barnsley one of the best things I've ever won. Um, now, you're, uh, is your, your full-time role now with Guru? Yeah, full-time and a little bit more, probably, I'd like to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty full-on. And, and where, where do you see that going? Where do you see yourself going? Uh, career ambition, if you like. Um, I don't know, Keith. I don't, I don't see myself as a sort of a big commercial businessy person, but I like, I like the fact that by trying to be myself i can have a positive influence on fishing and people in the industry so the things like the the talent pathway and a lot of the youth programs and events and putting good information out there for anglers um you know a, a, a mixture of aspirational things to make them want to go fishing yeah. 
educational things, to teach them things about fishing and hitting lots of levels of fishing, older people, younger people, you know, diversities of people and, and inspiring them to have a go at it or get better at it or go more or try different kinds of fishing. That's where I sort of get my buzz in the work environment, knowing that I'm um, getting people to do more fishing or introducing new people to fishing or helping people within the fishing. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's the thing that I get a lot of satisfaction out of within my role in the media, definitely. What, what's next on the list for you, mate? Um, I've got a really hectic... I've got a really hectic next three or four weeks, Keith, but I've got a ridiculously hectic year. Um, I, it's Valentine's Day. As we're recording today, yeah. anyone listening, it is Valentine's Day. Yeah. And I've actually... I've been with our last four... I always say I've been with her for about seven years now, but I've only actually spent about two years with her, I reckon, out of that. <laughs> um, so I, I spend a lot of time away. I've got um, the Winter League final coming up, which is on the drains, the Old River Neen at March with Barnsley. So we're going to try and make it three of them on a bounce as a team. We've been putting a lot of time and effort in there. Um, I've got a couple of Silverfish finals, that On The Flyer TV 10 grand final, the Silverfish Angling Trust 10 grand final. They're all in the next three weeks. And then... Uh, the Census Challenge final on the Gloucester Canal, middle of March, and then oh, you end can't of March. use the drains. You can't use the drains rigs down there, can you? Definitely not. We'll be tying some <laughs> line on them. Uh, <laughs> then we're off to Hungary for the Walterland Masters, start of April, and then it's European Champs. Um, the summer's ridiculous. It's European Champs June, World Club Championships July. I managed the England Under 15s team in August to Portugal. And then September is the World Championships in Spain. So the summer is pretty hectic for me. Um, so get as much sleep before that all kicks off, I reckon, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, mate, it's been really has been terrific talking to you. I'm so glad you could spare the time because I know how precious it is for you. Thank you for having me on, Keith. If ever I can help out with anything or you fancy a natter, let me know. Great stuff. Thanks so much, Matt. And um, and I will definitely be speaking to you soon. See you later, mate. Thanks to Matt Godfrey for being great company and such a fun and interesting shipmate. You can't help but be infected by his enthusiasm. And thanks to you for joining us. You can like and subscribe to the Strange Boat podcast so you'll be reminded when a new one drops. See, I'm getting the lingo. And listen back to past voyages too. I'll be back soon with some more fishing chat and I hope you'll join me again. But for now, from me, Keith Arthur, it's cheers and tight lines. Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.